Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to my Friday edition of Sin's Chat Corner. Um, unfortunately, we've had to reschedule some of our shows, and today being one of them, of course. Obviously, with the holidays, it gets a little more cramped and difficult to go ahead and have shows on a consistent basis, but we're going to squeeze a couple in this week. Today, I'm very, very fortunate to have Jeff, and I can't pronounce his last name, so we're going to find out who is a member of Trans-Siberian Orchestra and the group uh, New Life Crisis. So without further ado, let's get Jeff on the line and find out some about him. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, how are you? Hi, I'm doing very well for a Friday and not the end of the world. How are you? <laughs> it hasn't ended yet. I'm calling from the afterlife, I think. <laughs> no, 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 no. It has not ended. We're actually live and real, and both of us are here, and hopefully millions of other people listening. <laughs> I hope that aren't affected today. I, I was a little nervous. I was like, hmm, is this actually going to go on? Am I going to wake up? What's going on? It's been freaky today. Very, very freaky. Well, we're but okay. But I'm excited. We're okay, yeah, and, Sons of Anarchy, and Sons of Anarchy is still on. <laughs> uh, yes, oh my God, and let me just tell you, oh, if you follow me at all, you have to see that my million thousand postings, and I'm so excited that I get to go meet Ted Alba, who I just had on my show from Sons of Anarchy in two weeks in California, so I'm very, awesome. very excited about that. Oh my That's God, great. I cannot wait. Oh my gosh, I'm so <laughs> excited when I get to meet people that have been on my show, because that does not always happen, because I'm in right. you know, little Wisconsin here, and we're under snow right now, in case you haven't heard. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. So you're in New York. you got it easy over there. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, it's now the, the coldest first... place in, in the world where you live. I can't stand it. Oh, my God. It's it's cold. It's snowy. It's crap is what it is. I've, played, I've played there before. When I was with Taylor Dane years ago, we toured, and we played in Wisconsin, and I remember getting off the plane, and it was like I was hit in the face with a bat. That's how cold it was. <laughs> It was ridiculous, well, and, I, and I thought to myself, like, why would people choose to do this, you know? <laughs> well, we are born and raised here, and we kind of don't have a choice in that matter, so it's like, yeah, okay, thank and you. And the cheese, the cheese is plentiful, am I right? Yes, <laughs> plenty, it is. Plenty of cheese. cheese. Yeah, and then people talk about us being the whole cheese head thing and all that crap, and I'm just like, yeah, they can break. We're, we're a little more than cheese, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yes. Now, I have to start this interview by asking a very dumb question, and you have to forgive me for this. I cannot pronounce your last name, and I don't want to screw it up. So how do you sure. say it? It's Alleghew. 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 A-L-L-E-G-U-E. Okay, got it. Because I had no clue. And like, I'm not even going to go there because, A, I don't want to insult the fellow. And second of all, I'm like, how the hell do you say that? I'm like, Well, you know, it's funny. I just figured out how to pronounce it today, so... I had been oh mispronouncing it wrong. <laughs> All right. So, I'm now, glad to, you brought that to, up. Well, thank you. Now, I wanted <laughs> to kind of initiate our interview by kind of starting off talking about maybe your, a little bit about your background, which obviously led to this eventual illustrious musical career that you have. Um, I wanted to know, was it your dream from little on to one day become a musician? Was that something you wanted right from the get-go? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I started playing classical guitar when I was nine years old, and I was always enamored by guitar playing, and especially classical guitar. For some reason, when I was a kid, I loved Spanish guitar music. Uh, my my parents are my dad is from Spain, and his his father is uh, was never really spoke English, so it was always just this sort of Spanish kind of upbringing, and that music was always in our house. So I guess from that, from hearing it, I just loved the sound of it. And playing classical guitar is definitely, uh, it's a very difficult thing to do, especially when you're a kid, because it's so complex as far as using all your fingers and all that stuff, and the technique involved is very difficult. 
but I loved that music, and I was always enamored by that and the Beatles. When the Beatles came out, you know, I caught the tail end of their um, career, and I just, to this day, can't believe how great that stuff is. It still blows me away. So it was a combination of those things, really, the Beatles and um, Spanish guitar music and classical music in particular. So it's okay. yeah, it, it kind of is one of those things that naturally happened. I didn't, you know, my parents were artists, so it wasn't like something that they ever said, you can't do this or whatever. It was always in the house. And, you know, continuing on playing music from that point on, that was it. I never did anything else, you know. I gotcha. Now, I was going to say, now, typically parents, I, when the other musicians that I've interviewed before, a lot of times what I'll hear them say is, oh, God, my parents are like, there's no way you're going to be a musician. Get a solid career. Find something that's going to pay well, blah, blah, blah. Your parents, I'm assuming, being artists, were not of that vernacular? Not at all, no. In fact, you know, my uh, it was the opposite. You know, my house was the place where all the kids came because my parents would engage them in discussion about whatever, anything was going on in terms of art, politics, movies, there was always something going on where they treated kids as people, which was great, you know, looking back on it. So they were just cool, you know. They were just really, really cool people and, and you know, always engaged us in what we were doing, you know, but never anything negative. It was never like, oh, you can't do this. It was just, yeah, it's great. And if you didn't do it well, you really got to work on this or you got to listen to this, you know, make sure you're doing this right. So it was always that support. And, you know, I'd come home from school and I'd practice for hours. I mean, that was what I did. I was really not interested that much in school once I got into music. It was sort of just that. You know, I did well in school and all that, but I just wasn't that interested in anything else and still am not really. <laughs> mm, look at that. My goodness. Now, do you, obviously, I'm guessing, obviously, since your parents have been so supportive all along, they've seen you as an adult play and perform, obviously, and are they just overwhelmed by the amount of success you've had and thought, oh, yeah, my God, I'm so my, proud. The big, yeah, the big thing was I got to play at Madison Square Garden and, um, you know, and, and some other big places, and they did get to see that. You know, my mother passed away in 2004, but she did get to see me play a big show with Trans-Siberian Orchestra, which was huge for her, you know. But I had always been, when, when I was with Taylor Dane for years touring with her, we had done a lot of big shows as well. So they did get to see that, which was great. And she loved her. She loved the way she sang and stuff. And um, So there was always, you know, that, that part of it where it just, it all, but it always seemed kind of natural, you know what I mean? It always seemed like, oh, yeah, you know, this makes sense, you know. <laughs> it wasn't oh, like certainly. a big surprise, you know. So gotcha. that was good. Yeah. Okay. Now, I wanted to kind of, and I'm hoping I have this in succinct order because I did some research, obviously, on you. And I note that um, back in high school, which is back in 1977, if I got that right. 78, that I graduated. There you go. Um, that you had participated in a band. Um, maybe can you share your experience relative to those performances and how it helped to shape you as a performer early on? Well, a lot of the early bands, like high school bands that I was in, um, back then you got to realize, too, there was no... Um, there were no DJs at dances and things like that like there are now. So bands were very serious matter in high school. You know, you really, you played dances. And, you know, you, every band I was ever in from probably 10th grade on um, was a serious venture. You know, it was always, like, taken very seriously, and everybody really knew what they were doing and practiced very hard, and we always played these dances. So I think that was the, the beginnings of sort of, becoming or learning to become professional and learning to, you know, have your, your act together so that you didn't look like an idiot in front of all your friends and all that sort of stuff. And at the same time, you were learning how to play music by figuring stuff out from records because you didn't have, again, the same opportunity that you do from the Internet from learning things, you know. 
So that was a huge thing. And it was also around that time that I met Paul O'Neill, who is the guy who created the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. We've known each other since we were kids. And we started a band called Slow Burn, which was a progressive rock band that kind of started around 1979, I guess. And we all lived in the city, and, you know, we no one had anything going on in terms of the business yet. But Paul started working for um, Lieber Krebs, which was one of the biggest rock management companies in the world. They handled Aerosmith and Ted Nugent and Def Leppard and groups like that. So he was always smart that he had part of the business end going on while he had this band that we had together, which was a great band, you know, a real, real progressive rock kind of Yes meets Pink Floyd meets Genesis kind of a thing. And Paul always had this great vision of a very theatrical production, you know. So for that to happen with Trans-Siberian years later, it was sort of was the beginnings of that was started then, you know. And yeah. it's, to me, amazing how it's all turned out, you know. And it's to his credit. I mean, he's just an incredible person, incredibly driven, and always stayed focused as to what he wanted to do, you know. He was one of those guys that always had a vision of what he thought a production should be like, and, you know, stuck with that for years, you know. I mean, just, and it's an incredible thing, because I saw that grow from nothing to this gigantic, you know, huge show that it is now, you know. Right, oh, definitely. Sure, Pretty I got it. Oh, my God, yes. And, and I have to say, obviously, to anybody, and we'll get into Trans-Siberian Orchestra, of course, because I've been privy to going to shows, oh, my God, four or five, six times. It's my favorite date night, actually, is to go to TSO, because I'm like, you know, you just, the, the experience, just the entire experience is amazing. It is. It's, it's like a, an assault on the senses in so many ways, and there's also a great sense of, you know, hope in his message that he puts out there, you know, and he doesn't, he, nothing's ever skimped. Every year he puts everything into this show and has since it began. I mean, he works so hard and it's such a huge undertaking. And I'm just amazed, you know, I'm so proud of him for where he's mm -hmm. gone with this thing, you know. Because when you know somebody mm -hmm. when you're a kid, you dream of these things, wouldn't it be great to do this? Wouldn't it be great to do that? And and it comes true. It's just, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> Amazing, it's, isn't it? it? It is. It really oh, is. My goodness really gracious. Is. Now, I noted that back in the 1990s, you found yourself playing and performing with the band The Tall Boys. Um, yep. I wanted. I was curious to ask how that partnership was solidified, how that came into play. Well, that was my brother, my brother John and myself. Um, John is... Uh, few years younger than me and great great singer and a great piano player and a great songwriter and we wrote many many songs together and had a band called the tall boys which we for years played around i mean we had you know a, a pretty good following around the tri-state area we were on star search actually we won three shows on that the old star search show in 1991 which then got us a record deal with a company called robert barron um, significant records, which we basically were released on all the college charts, we, and we did quite well. We were, I think, number seven or something in the college charts with one of the songs that we re released. Great band, very um, reminiscent of, of sort of Beatles, Elvis Costello, Joe Jackson kind of music, which is all what we loved, you know. We, we still love that, that kind of songwriting. It was a three-piece band. It was my brother, myself, and a drummer, and it was just a great little band, you know. And we did a lot of stuff with showcasing for record labels and, you know, major labels, but never got, you know, the deal that we wanted to get. And, you know, unfortunately, it sort of petered out, but we did make a few really good records. And it's kind of a shame because I think the timing of it wasn't good for us. We sort of came after 
the whole thing was in favor of the whole new wave type of thing with the police and Joe Jackson and Elvis. Um, we were after that, and I think the timing of it was just not good. The music business was at that time looking at um, sort of the grunge thing, you know, with Nirvana was happening and Soundgarden, uh, Pearl Jam, bands like that. So we really didn't fit into anything at that time, but it was a really, really good band and great songs. And I, I hope to release some of that stuff on iTunes soon. I think it's just really great music, you know. Oh, wow. That's cool. I yeah. Think, uh, great band. I want, And I wanted to ask you, you know, did this, like, let's say your participation in Tall Boys and then obviously the other ventures you've had, have they proved to be a learning experience for you, meaning pertaining to the business and or just your skills as a musician? Yeah, I mean, everything is, you know, everything's a learning experience, you know, it, it can it can kind of turn you off to the business, because the business is cruel, and it's a weird, bizarre business, it's, it is a business, it's not about necessarily how good you are a lot of times, you know, um, it's, a lot of it's timing, a lot of it's luck, the old adages, you know, that are there, and um, sometimes it doesn't all, all the pieces don't always, you know, fit together when you want them to. Um, but you, I think you learn to become resilient as a musician that you just want to do it and you keep doing it, you know, you just keep going. I mean, that stuff really doesn't bother me, you know, in terms of what you consider success. I always thought success as a musician was that you were playing music every day, regardless if it was in a bar someplace or at Madison Square Garden, whatever. It was always the fact that you were doing it, you know. That's mm-hmm. more interesting to me, the process of it, you know. Because all the other stuff is gravy. It's all luck out stuff, you know. I mean, it would be awesome to sell a ton of records and all that stuff. But sometimes, you know, the way the business has dissolved, it's completely different now. You know, with with downloading and all that stuff, labels have fallen apart, you know, left and right. So they really don't even know what to do anymore with short of being on, like, American Idol or something. It's very hard to break a band now, you know, the old way. Um, right. So it's kind of gone back to sort of ground level of grassroots sort of things where bands go out you know the current band i'm in new life crisis that's what we do we have a big following we have a great band and we just have you know we play all the time you know we had a record out at one point um tommy boy records and had a hit song called daylight which did really well but then the the industry sort of collapsed around the time that the record came out and you know we've we're forced to sort of just go out and you know do it on our own which is fine you know i mean we have a really nice following and we do well you know and it's a great band great great band so you know yeah i mean to me it's all good it's all just like it's just fun there's nothing Hmm. better than being a musician or being around music you know Oh, certainly. Yes, that's what I'm told. I have a lot of friends who are musicians, and they just they say the same thing. Any kind of given opportunity, like on Friday nights, we have an open jam that's here, and it's just so cool to watch fellow musicians just all get together. Everybody just jump on a stage, do whatever they want to do, and it's just so appreciated by the community. Yeah. You know, it's just it's so it's such an eclectic experience to be part of that. I'm so very fortunate to know a lot of those people. And musicians are just oh, such free spirits. I admire that so very much. I think it's amazing. Yeah, and it's you know what it is too. You, you just feel like it's it's always new you know there's no i never feel like you've learned every, you, you can't learn everything you're just constantly being turned on to new stuff and you're always being um sort of pushed into new places that you didn't think you would be and learning always learning you know and it's it's great it doesn't end it's not like you know all right i know enough and that's it it's you're constantly learning you know so oh, i think that keeps it fresh and also keeps you young you know because it, I mean, you think the same way you did when you were 16. It's the same thing, you know. <laughs> ah, 
I got that. But you're only 30, right? So, I mean, yeah, you're like a little hair, hair over 30 just, or so, so you would know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to keep it real here, trying to give you a little compliment there, helping you out. Now, I find this very interesting. It is very rare that a, a guest that's on my show and I have had interaction with the same person. Now, I have an interesting story here. My sister actually played, I don't know if you've been to Milwaukee before. We have a, a festival called Pride Fest here every year in Milwaukee. And my sister actually played this year, and Taylor Dane was actually doing her sound check prior to my sister doing her performance, actually. Right. So we had a chance to actually watch her and just kind of watch the prep that's involved with her musical uh, performance. And I know you, of mm-hmm. course, have obviously toured with Taylor Dane before. I played kind of with her in Wisconsin, actually. we were, Like I said, oh. we played in Wisconsin. And oh, I look think at we, that. We so that. There you go. It, it was one of those outdoor street things where they closed down all the streets. It was just thousands of people. It was great, you know. Ah, look at that. Now, I yep. wanted to ask you this. If you wanted to describe to the audience your interactions with her, basically, how, what was it like to tour with her um, and that kind of good stuff. And what, what is this person like? Because I know my impression was probably not the impression you got, so I'm curious. Well, she's a, you know, she had huge hits. You know, you got to remember, this girl was number one in the late 80s, mid to late 80s, and then through the early 90s with, like, you know, Prove Your Love, Tell It To My Heart, I'll Always Love You. Those were all, like, number one songs. So she was really big. So to get the chance, I, when I played with her, it was sort of after the, you know, success that she had on MTV and all that stuff, you know, more like in the later 90s. She had been and has been touring since then and constantly playing and stuff. And so for me, it was just like my first real professional sort of, you know, touring gig where I got to travel the country and play with some of the finest musicians ever. I mean, these guys are great. You know, these were people that have played with Stevie Wonder, Shaka Khan, you name it. I mean, they've been just people that were really, really good. And it was mm-hmm. such a great experience. And she was, you know, she was a total pro. I mean, she just, she, and she was one of those people that could just get up and sing, like, without warming up, which always amazed me. You know, she would just belt it mm-hmm. out, and it was every night. I mean, she did not ever ever do anything that was sort of like, you know, cheating an audience or whatever. She always put 110% into every single gig. You know, and some gigs were not as good as other gigs as far as, like, the attendance. Sometimes the promoter screwed up or whatever, but it didn't matter. We would go out there and we would do a show that was like we were playing for 20,000 people, you know. So my impression of her was just this incredibly hardworking um, musician. And I always thought of her as a musician more than just a singer. I always thought of her as someone who was really, she knew what everybody was playing at any given time. I remember her one time knowing that I had switched to playing with a pick rather than my fingers. And I'm like, how do you even know that? You know, (laughs) but she could hear it. She could tell. She said, I'd rather you play with your fingers on this or that. And I was like amazed at that. And I'm like, yeah, all right, you know, because, you know, sometimes you just think singers are just concerned with what they're doing and not really paying attention so much to all the mm. musicians, you know. Um, mm. But a tough, a tough person, you know, a tough girl who, you know, she works her ass off. And, you know, to her credit, she just keeps going, you know. Oh, I bet, it's definitely. It's, it's hard for women as they get older to keep an, a young audience. Um, you know, there's much more demands on them to look young and all that stuff, and she really works hard at keeping that going, and she has a very, very dedicated audience, you know, all over the world, really. You know, I mean, she'll go over to Australia and do great or wherever, you know. She's she's really good. I was, it was a great experience for me. I mean, it really gave me an opportunity to play in front of thousands of people 
and to, to know what it was like to be in a pro band that was, you know, on a real tight schedule, touring from place to place to place, you know. Oh, certainly. So, and how long were you with her, or how long did you tour with her? About three years I was with her, you know. It was, it was okay. a while, you know. I gotcha. And what made you opt to stop touring? You got a different opportunity, I'm Well, presuming. the TSO thing started happening, and um, it was right around, I guess, 2000, 2001, and it started to really take off, and... I got to play, you know, my friend Paul, being a great friend of mine, um, you know, asked me to kind of get involved with that and playing on the records and things like that and, um, you know, doing some shows. I asked not to tour because the touring thing for me was kind of, I had just done that and I didn't want to be on the road. I had a young son and I wanted to be home. And I also, with Trans-Siberian, you know, it's it's about three months out of the year that you're involved with it and you're gone. And... Uh, you know, I was lucky enough to have things that I could do, some shows here and there, but I was able to do a lot of stuff behind the scenes, which was great, and still do. You know, it's it's a, it's a great, great thing. Um, because the touring can be really, really hard. I mean, you're gone, and then when you come back, you're starting over again. So for those, you know, whatever, however many months left in the year, you're basically going back to sometimes square one to start work again, you know. So right. it's not like a year-round thing, you know. Oh, certainly, I gotcha. And yeah. good, and I'm glad we had this conversation about Miss Taylor Dane because you've definitely altered my opinion of her, well, <laughs> and I just say in a refreshing way. Well, well what did you think? my she my experience is not pretty. She was cold. She was cold. To oh, you, you know, she's yeah. so. She was just so. I'm gonna come on a stage. She was very barky. It was just you're not doing this. You're not doing this. You're not doing this. Granted, we're yeah. not used to watching a sound check, and I'm sure she probably wasn't comfortable with us watching it, but we had no choice. We were there. And, you know, I guess my thought was, I agree with you in that she's very, very good at picking up on, I don't like this, I notice this, I notice this. She's very yeah. in tune with her musicians, which is very admirable. And she does look, she's rocking, I mean, her yeah. age, and she does it very well. And someone had actually pulled me to the side after the fact and had said, you know, she's going through some things personally, which you don't know as a person, obviously. And, right. you know, my first my first thought, I looked at my sister, and I'm like, oh, my God, what a bitch. And then I thought about it after the fact, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to ask somebody to actually spend some quality time with her, because sometimes you walk well, away from an experience. Well, listen, and, I, could you know. say, I could say exactly the same thing about her, that she's a bitch and a pain in the ass and all that stuff, but you know what I think? Sure. I, because there's so much demands on her, and I know the schedule she has is nuts, and I understand why she would be like that, because it's constant. It's a constant thing. You never feel like you're settled. You never feel like you're relaxed. You're always doing something. Like Even like I remember just being in airports and somebody, you know, where people start to recognize and all of a sudden she's uncomfortable. She just wants to sit and read and then she has to like hide somewhere, you know, crap like that, you know, and right. it's just, it, it's irritating. And if, unless you're in it, you don't understand it. You know what I mean? Sure. And some people, sure. some people take it one way. Other people, you know, like some people can be very casual and easygoing about it and other people take it, you know, like, leave me alone, I don't want to deal with this crap, you know, and sometimes, you know, you're doing shows you don't want to do because you're dead tired, or you just got off a plane after it's flying for whatever, 10 hours someplace, you know, it's it's not easy. I mean, I used to be shot all the time, I would come home and I was just like, I'd sleep for days because I was like, you know, bleary-eyed about getting up, because, you know, you got to remember, I'd be picked up sometimes at 4 in the morning on the island flown out from JFK or whatever, Kennedy, to go all the way to, like, California, um, do a show, two shows that night, get into another plane, fly to Texas, do another show the next day. You know, it was like you never felt like you were resting. Sleep was the biggest thing. You just wanted to sleep, you know. <laughs> right. 
I mean, there were shows where I was literally in a dream state on stage because I was delirious from not sleeping. And I I would sit there and look at my hands and look at my face and go, what the hell am I even doing? Like, I had no idea. For a split second, I'd be completely out of it, you know? Goodness gracious. Well, look at that. Now I have reaffirmed and thought to myself, all right, I got a different opinion about this woman. So maybe I will try a little harder to get out on my show. Okay, have I lost here? Oh, it looks like we're having some technical difficulties here. Um, I'll give it a second to see if it develops itself here, or envelops itself, I should say, actually. Um, in case those of you are just tuning in right now, we are speaking to Jeff of uh, TSO and New Life Crisis. Um, and going through some of his obvious histories, different tourings, different fans, et cetera, et cetera, and going through all that good stuff as we were covering the fact that, yes, we are all still alive and well in this world, and that the end of the world did not actually transpire today as we know it. Thank you, Jesus. Um, hopefully, we'll get this worked out. Um, let's just see here. As I'm sitting here and waiting, hopefully, for this to rectify itself, We'll see if we can try to get Jeff back on the line here. While we are waiting for him to continue the interview, I just wanted to uh, mention a couple different things. Obviously, shout out to my local musicians, clearly because I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so certainly I always want to give them a pump up. If any of you are going to be out and about this evening, uh, obviously Dops, uh, located in West Dallas, always has my dear friend Craig Olmick has his open jam this evening. Anytime, usually after 9, 9.30, if you want to stop down there uh, and check him out, that would be an absolutely wonderful venture. Tons of musicians, tons of uh, just different various artists coming up, singing, dancing, all different forms of arts. Definitely a good opportunity to get to know some new friends and to hear some good new music. Unfortunately, my very dear friend, Demetra, who is a uh, absolutely kick-ass, for lack of a better term, belly dancer, has been very ill and under the weather. My dear, my dear friend, I send prayers and love out to um, will not be present this evening, but certainly do if you get an opportunity to get out to DAF, certainly anytime after 9, 9.30 this evening. I can also tell you that my dear friend, a newfound friend, I should say, William Ford, is going to be up at Moles this evening, so definitely go ahead and check him out. I see we've got Jeff back on the line, so let's try to get him back. Hello, Jeff. Hey, sorry about that. I lost you there. <laughs> I know. Phone just dropped okay. out. I just ad-libbed. <laughs> I just went ahead and just chatted about Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and all the fellow musicians that, you know, Jeff's not here, so he can't come and play for us. So I'm like, well, let's just talk about everybody else for a minute. So thank God you're back. Okay, (laughs) close call there. Okay, so I want to talk about, which I'm so excited about, which is TSO, of course. And just to let you know, because you were saying 2000, 2001, my research says the year 2001 found you. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, with the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Now, obviously, for those who are listening, you all know that this is my absolute favorite band of all time. Just to let you guys know, and that's for anybody who lives under a rock who's never heard the words Trans-Siberian Orchestra, they utilize this age-old art form of what I call rock opera. Actually, that is what it is. And um, what a success it's been. I mean, $20 million-plus production that's played to over 7 million people in 80-plus cities. Now, to me, that's just definitive success at the highest level. Um, for those that aren't aware, can you maybe just tell us your journey? Because I know you said, obviously, you grew up with Mr. O'Neill. Um, when did you fully become more involved with TSO? Um, really, like around 2001, I started um, working with okay. them and doing, you know, like I said, I got to play at the Garden and 
Coliseum and some other places in Jersey, some beautiful, you know, huge theaters and stuff, which was amazing. And also got to play on the records, which have gone through the roof in terms of sales. So the last record I was on was uh, called Night Castle, which came out in 2009. And before that, I was on the Lost Christmas Eve record and the Christmas Trilogy record. So it's there's a lot of things that I'm, I'm going to be doing something on acoustic guitar with him soon, a, um, a solo piece uh, utilizing like my kind of classical technique on acoustic guitar. But I've, you know, it's going to be an ongoing thing. You know, the, it's gotten to the point where I think it'll just constantly go. And there's a, a revolving door of musicians. As you know, it's one of those things that you know, there's always new people coming in, and there's a great mix of ages between young and older musicians. So it really does span a tremendous amount of talent, and really some of the best musicians ever assembled in one place. You know, these guys are great from classical guys that are Juilliard trained keyboard players or violinists to, you know, amazing rock guys that are just stellar players, you know, and uh, great singers. We have great narrators. It's it's a, it's a just a really an amazing, amazing show. If no one has seen it, it is something to, you know, absolutely behold. It's incredible, you know. Oh, certainly. I would agree with that a hundredfold. I was curious to ask you this, if you happen to know of um, – the pro- I'm always curious about the process involved with how you solicit individuals to be part of TSO. How does someone get into the mix, so to speak? Well, there's a lot of, you know, through the years there's been auditions that have been held. People know how to contact um, the management. And, you know, if, if someone feels like they're TSO material, a lot of times now what they'll do is put together a YouTube video of themselves playing, you know, whether whatever part they're doing, whether they're violinists, drummers, keyboard players, guitar players, and submit them to the Trans-Siberian Orchestra Management. Um, and we find a tremendous amount of people um, from YouTube stuff. I mean, there was, there was a guy that we got, I think, uh, he was a Russian keyboard player that came over here, and amazing guy, you know, amazing player, and he was found that way. It used to be in the old days, you know, people would sort of come in and audition, and we also have talent scouts that go around, and, you know, if they see somebody that they think is right for it, they'll bring them in and work with them, um, you know, maybe over the course of a year or two even, you know, before they even would be considered to be uh, somebody to work with on the stage, you know. But um, because it's gotten so big, um, they pretty much have the pick of the world at this point, you know, which is great. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Definitely. Now, I know this might sound like a strange question to you, but I'm wondering if there, at any point, for you personally, were there downsides to being involved with such an elaborate production because it is on a much higher scale, per se, as, you know, a band. Is there any downside to that? Um, I mean, it's intimidating at first, you know, to be on a stage that has so much going on. You know, I mean, it's this an insane amount of production happening, you know, between the the fire. I mean... <laughs> The fire stuff, if you're close to that, it's unbelievably hot and intense. But they are so good, these guys that do the pyro. Their safety measures are through the roof. And you just really are sort of like amazed every time you're on one of those stages that you're just surrounded by so much stuff, you know, lasers. I mean, it's like like Pink Floyd times 10, you know. It really is that big. I think it's probably the biggest rock production that's – currently or has been for years out there you know um so that that i wouldn't say that's quite a downsize as more as it's sort of like it's it's a bit intimidating you know 
And if we have people that come in that are young that have never even really played in bars much but were really talented, you know, that can freak them out, you know, as you can imagine. Oh, definitely. My God, I wouldn't even, I would not even know how to relate to that, to be honest with you. I, I can imagine that it must be just so overwhelming, you know. Yeah, the nerve, um, the I'm nerve end of it, you know. Yeah, the nerves yeah, of it, of standing in front of that many people and performing and everything with TSO is, is very, very over the top in terms of performance because you're playing for so many people surrounded by such a big production that all the movements are very exaggerated so that, you know, the person that's, you know, in row 97 can still feel it and see it and get that intimate feeling of what's going on, you know. And I can but, uh, I can attest. I can attest yeah. to you right now. Every single time I go, I got the goosebumps going on. Doesn't matter what role I'm sitting in, it's just amazing. I mean, just breathtaking, for lack of a better term. And um, I always say to myself, every single year that I go, I'm like, I'm going to get one inch closer. I'm going to get those front row seats eventually, which I never do, of course. <laughs> but I'm well, like, you know, I'm it's just funny be in that front row. You really don't actually, because the production to to get the breadth of it, you, it's better to be back because it's such a huge thing to see. When you're up close, you really can't get the feeling of what's going on so much as you can, mm. you know, twenty five, thirty rows back, so you can see what's happening. It's it's you're surrounded by so much stuff, you know. Okay, sure. And now, do you see yourself at some given point in time, um, like if your child were to get obviously will get older, for you to consider maybe touring with them? Um. You know, it's really not up to me. It's it's up to them, you know, what they want to do. I mean, I'm open for anything. I would I like what I do though. I like having my band um here. I like, you know, doing my thing, being around um and not being gone for months on end and stuff like that, you know. But um it, you know, I'm up for anything, really. I mean, whatever I happens you. happens, you know. Oh, good. And now that you said that you're up for anything, I just know that you're going to hop a plane at 30. Yes, you're going to come to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, because TSO will be here. And then you're going to come meet me in person, and then you're going to come play for me, right? <laughs> exactly. I'm trying really hard right now. See, because I tried to get you in Chicago, and that didn't work. See, so I thought, if he's on here, there's no way he's going to say no to that. He, I know he's going to come here and play, and I know I'm going to be able to meet him, right? Because this never I would love happened. to. <laughs> oh, awesome. Just call your buddy up, Mr. O'Neill. You know, hello, hello. You have to come for one show. That's it. Just absolutely one show. That's all there is to it. I would just, I would love to just stand there and just be backstage just to see everything that goes on in, in process as it's going on. I think that would just well, be amazing. It is amazing. I mean, it's like watching a military operation, you know. I mean, it's it's extraordinary because every single thing has got to be perfect after you know night after night after night. There's no room for error, you know. Mm-hmm. So when it gets to that that scale, it's it's really amazing. I mean, and there's so many people that work on this thing, and there's so many you know the top people in the crews. Like the crews we have are incredible. You know, the, the lighting guys, everyone's the top guys in their game. You know. I mean, the lighting guys we have are guys that have done Pink Floyd, have done Kiss. Um, you know, they've been around those kind of large productions. And, you know, like I said, all the musicians are the top musicians you could imagine. The sound engineers we have are the best in the business. You know, the catering is unbelievable. You know, the the security, every single part of it is really top-notch, you know. And that's very impressive. When you're around stuff like that, you know, you realize how big it is and how and everyone also is really incredibly nice too, which is another astounding thing. You know, there's big volumes, that, it really does. Yeah, I can't I can't say one bad thing about anybody. I mean they're just great. Everyone's great and nice, you know, and you know, I think they're I think because it's not a star driven thing that the show itself is what the star is, you know, that there's no real ego problems or anything like that, you know. Everyone hmm. really works really incredibly well together, you know. 
Gotcha. Now if I can only get him to play like three times a year in Milwaukee, I'd be a happy woman. Maybe you could expedite that for me then if you can't come here. <laughs> just saying, just throwing this out here. I'm like, you know, I always make my guests do things, and sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't, so we'll just see what happens on the third year. And I'll never speak to you again if you don't come, so you better get here. Um, the last question I want to ask about that, which I find kind of, I guess I've been trying to figure this out. In his vision, when the original um, concept came up of, of formulating TSO, I'm just wondering, was it always, primarily to be of the Christmas thematic thing? Because obviously, of course, we all know that we only see TSO during Christmas time, obviously. So mm-hmm. I just wonder, was that always the vision? No, no. It started out, he was working um, with a band called Sabotage, which was on Atlantic Records, which he uses that band. That was the primary band that he was um, dealing with, and they kind of split that band up between the East and the West Coast. There's two touring companies that go out. And his vision really wasn't just a Christmas thing. It started as that, but there was an album called Beethoven's Last Night, which came out um, as the third record, and that has nothing to do with Christmas. And then Night Castle, which is the last record that came out in 2009, also has nothing to do with uh, a Christmas. So really, it's a it's a rock opera thing. I mean, he's always been a, a person who wrote grandiose rock operas, you know, um, I remember, you know, when we were kids, we always loved Jesus Christ Superstar. We loved Quadrophenia by The Who. We loved Meat Loaf's Bad Out of Hell record. I mean, those are the things that we were really into. We loved Queen, you know, very grandiose musical things. And he was always into the production end of it. Even the band we had, Slow Burn, had this tremendous production for basically an unsigned, unknown band, um, which was extraordinary. I mean, we really had a great theatrical sort of group so he always had that going on and he always found a way of making that happen even when we had nothing happening in terms of money or in terms of real success you know inside the business you know i mean the first recording that's that slow burn ever did was in Jimi hendrix's studio electric lady in new york and at the record plant which is you know two of the biggest recording studios in the world and he managed to get us in there which was incredible you know and working with some of the greatest um, engineers, a guy named Dave Whitman, who was the engineer at Electric Lady, worked with us as Slow Burn, and he's been with Trans Siberian Orchestra from the beginning, and he's one of the greatest engineers in the world. He's, you know, amazing. So it was a lot of, I think, just, you know, dedication to something and the continual hard work that we did at the time, and then he continued on, you know, and it's it's amazing. I mean, I just, I'm blown away by it, you know. Tell me about it. You and me both. Look at that. And I always hope I have a date for that concert. Got to work on that next. That'll be our next (laughs) one. All right. Moving along, I wanted to talk a bit because I always find it interesting. Um, I had cited that uh, some of your personal music influences have been listed as, and I just grabbed a couple, which are obviously Elvis, um, Sting, Brian Setzer, and Stevie Nicks. Um, Are there particular facets of their career and or attributes which stand out in your mind personally? Um, Hmm. I suppose all of them are just, you know, individually they've all done what they wanted to do, and they're all extraordinary, uh, unique talents in their own right. I mean, the Sting, probably the last band I ever saw that I just was mind-boggling was The Police when they I saw their debut at the Garden right around the time that uh, Don't Stand So Close to Me had come out, and I was floored. I mean, I was just like, you know, this was before they were really huge. You know, they they just started becoming big and sting is an amazing you know talent he's one of those guys like paul mccartney were you know
know, anybody that, of Freddie Mercury from Queen that just has this incredibly unique sound, great presence, great songwriting, pure charisma, you know, those are people that are, you know, few and far between. Um, and I would say, you know, all those guys, anything that anything that's just great music and, you know, from that ilk, I mean, it's all based, it basically all stems from the Beatles. Whatever the, <clears throat> you know, anything post-Beatles that I loved was usually very directly influenced by the Beatles. Um, mm-hmm. So Sting certainly was, you know, Elvis Costello certainly was. Um, I, the, the Who is another band, too, that I just absolutely adore, just incredible. Um, you know, anything smart, lyrically that's smart, uh, melodies that are just incredibly crafted melodies. And, you know, with those bands, they had a sound, too. Like the Beatles, you know, the collection of them as singers is still an, a joy to behold. It's so good. And it's so, you can't put your finger on it. It's just amazing. So I think that keeps you going in terms of pulling you in all the time to wanting to play music and stuff because you're always going, well, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. How can I get closer to that, you know? Right. Um, I understand exactly what you mean. I do, I do. I have my own little idols, actually. Of course, most of them are male and attractive, but it's a whole other point there. Um, curious, do you have a dream musician, if you want to call it a quote-unquote dream musician, that you'd want to partner with or tour with yes. or perform with? Without a doubt, it would be Elvis Costello. I would love, love to play bass with Elvis Costello. I I just love his songs. I love his, his brain you know, he would be the guy. That would be it. I would. That would be awesome. it for me. I'd. I'd be extremely happy. <laughs> and you could probably like, yes, I've, I've reached the pinnacle now. That's exactly what I wanted to do. How cool was that? There was no hesitation well, to that. It was boom. Yeah, it's one. It's one thing that I mean for sure. You know, but quite honestly, the band I'm currently in, New Life Crisis, is a group that you know I love playing with for those reasons. You know, the guy that sings with us is a guy named Paul Mahas, who's amazing. He's got the same thing that the other people we were just talking about. He's like he's like a Bono meets Sting meets McCartney. He's got all those things. He's pure charisma, an amazing front guy, great songwriter, great singer. So the band I'm currently in and have been for many years now is, you know, a joy to be in and I'm very, very happy with where we are, you know. Um, yeah, we're about to talk about them actually. I was yeah. gonna throw that out there. Um nineteen ninety nine if I'm not mistaken, um you ended up being lead guitarist for the group New Life Crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to pump your horn a little bit here. Your debut single, Daylight, which you had referred to earlier, has uh, sold more than 3 million copies worldwide. Yep. In 2005, your debut album featured the smash single Dirty Little Girl and the other song, Break, which is featured on the TV show Laguna Beach. I want to ask, uh, to what do you feel do you attribute to the huge success of this band? Well... Paul, when I first met Paul, he was a guy that had just gotten a deal with a group, a company called Tommy Boy Records, which was a big label, you know, and I had seen him perform because he's from Long Island, and I saw him perform one night, and I was like, oh my God, this guy's great. He's a, he was like, he's a huge Elvis Presley fan, a huge Beatles fan, all that stuff, but he had, and you too, he loved Bono and all that, but he had all of those things combined that as a performer, I was like, you know, to see somebody like that in a bar, he was so good. And we sort of became friends. He knew my brother John and was playing a few gigs here and there with my brother. And my brother was like, you got to check this guy out. So I did, and I was amazed. And we, you know, became friends. And at the time, I was still kind of doing the Taylor Dane thing, so I couldn't really work with him full-time, you know. But I would play with him here and there and stuff. And I remember one 
I think the first gig I ever did with him was actually at the start of the New York City Marathon, which is in Staten Island. And, you know, it's like 30,000 people getting to run a marathon. You would think the last thing they'd want to do is hear a band. And we were set up and playing, and I'm like, oh, this, this is going to be a disaster. But it turned out to be amazing because he was so good at capturing their attention before they were running this 26-mile race. And that really sold me on I was like, if this guy can get these people's attention for this long, you know, um, but he's just got that thing. He's he's just a really great front guy, you know, and you can't help but constantly watch him and whatever he does. And he's a great singer, you know, and um, a lot of the tunes that we did were really just great, great songs. But as I said, the band sort of, the timing of it, once again, you know, when that record was done, it never... Tommy Boy sort of folded after that because everything was starting to fall apart with the industry. So whatever bands were not making money at the time for the label were dropped. You know, that was just sort of, that was the end of it. Because then I think whatever catalog they had from the label was absorbed by Time Warner. <clears throat> so then they would, you know, go on from there. And that that's kind of what happened with their, the record that we first put out there. Um, so we ended up redoing it and putting it out ourselves and selling it ourselves through our website, uh, newlifecrisis.com, and getting plug there, getting the uh, mm-hmm. it, it, you know the sales of the record have done really well through the website and through personal you know fans coming to shows and things like that. You know, sure, I understand. Um, I was curious to ask this too, and I know this might seem like a stupid question, but as a non-musician, I often wonder about this. Your experiences with this band comparatively is compared to maybe TSO or some of the other bands. Um, is there a way to compare them? I mean, you know, obviously you take a different experience from each one of them, but how have you found this to be varied in terms of, as it relates to the other bands? Well, it's two, it's apples and oranges. You know, TSO is a show. It's it's a huge show that is an exact thing night after night. New Life Crisis is a band that improvises like a jazz band, but doing, you know, all kinds of different genres of music within a three-piece band. It's only myself on guitar and bass, and I play some keys and sing, and then we have a drummer, and then Paul who sings and plays acoustic guitar. Um, but sometimes it's just me and the drummer, so it's a very stripped-down kind of a band. It's completely, you know, has nothing to do with the, like with the TSO, which is this gigantic production, you know. So it, it's it's really just two different things that have, you know, they're both great in their own terms, but they're very, very, very different. You know, um, I I prefer playing in a situation sometimes where you don't know what's going to happen and there's a lot of improvisation because that's creative. Um, when you're doing a show, you have to do pretty much the same thing night after night after night. Even with the Taylor Dane thing, I mean, it was really playing her hits and playing the same thing every single night, every single show. There was not improvisation really going on. So that becomes a bit stale after a while as a musician because you're not really, you know, like I became really good at playing her songs, but I wasn't really doing anything else, you know. Sure. So like my guitar playing was sort of taking a back seat. Um, a lot of things took a back seat because you're, you, that's a job. You're on the road, you're playing those songs night after night. Um, and that's very different, you know. That's why I love the band I'm in now too because of that it's it's really different every single night there is never a set thing we don't even use a set list ever when we play mm. we just do it's purely feeding off the crowd and whatever each person feels at the moment um, you know there's certain things that we will do that are consistent but 
there's a tremendous amount of room for improvisation, which keeps things extremely uh, creative and fun every night, you know. I was going to say fresh, too. I mean, obviously, because your audience isn't knowing what they're going to expect, which just brings more excitement to it, I think. Which is why we see a lot of the same faces three or four times a week sometimes, especially in the summer, because it's not the same. You know, they could come one night and we could be doing a whole rockabilly thing and then go into, like, a complete dance thing um, or, you know, whatever. I mean, it really spans so many different genres of music, and we do them all really well, and, you know, there's a sense of you never know what's going to happen. Um so sometimes, too, it can be a train wreck, which is cool, too, you know, where things can just completely fall apart. But that's kind of cool because then you're on your toes trying to figure out how to fix it instantly, you know. Yeah, so. I do know. Kind of like, yeah, you have a guest on the radio and all of a sudden they disappear. <laughs> so I know exactly yeah. how that is sometimes. <laughs> See? And you kind of have to sit there and ad-lib like, uh-huh, yeah, I'm sure he's coming back on the air. Which sometimes, well, you... For the most part, it happens. It's okay. <laughs> Whew, thank God for that guest still on the phone. Whew, I'm okay now. Uh, one of the things I got to tell you that sparked my interest is that I saw that your band New Life Crisis had played a gala for the benefit of the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Um, my mom is actually a juvenile diabetic. Okay. Uh, I wanted to ask: Do you foresee future involvement with charities as far as your band is going, or do you are you already taking part in activities? We we take part in a lot of charities through the year. We've been doing the JDRF for nearly ten years. Uh, it's the biggest one on the East Coast, uh, raises millions of dollars. And we get to play uh, David Bryan, who's the keyboard player from Bon Jovi, who also wrote that show, Memphis. He will, He's always at these things and started playing with us at these events. And has it's kind of like a ritual where he, he ends up coming up and you know playing with the band pretty much the whole night, to the point where when he got married a couple of years ago, he asked us to play for his wedding, which was in a great honor. And... Um, he actually has been tremendous at bringing in a lot of money for JDRF because of this, um, you know, the donations that he gives. Um, so, yeah, that's something we do a lot of. We do a lot of charities, a lot of benefits, um, a lot in New Jersey, too, believe it or not. You know, this, hmm. a lot happens over there. But, yeah, I mean, you know, they're great. and they're, they're great events, and we always meet really, really cool people and stuff. And they do, like I said, raise millions every year for the uh, research, you know. Yep, I saw that, actually. I was very impressed. I, I have to say, not, not amazing enough. I'm, I was breathtaking before I even got on this phone, in fact, intimidated, to be honest. I get, I always get a little nervous, but I'm like, oh, he was in TSO, and he did this, and he did this, and he's, like, multi-instrumental, and, and you're a Yeah, but you're on the guy. radio. You're on the radio, for God's sake. I'm only this good because of people <laughs> like you that actually say, sure, I'll do an interview. Do you know how many times <laughs> I hear no? I'll tell you, I've reached high status when we go a little higher up. Ted Alva was great from Suns. The minute I get Jack Teller on this show, I've reached the oh, top. I don't think I can awesome. go any higher. Yeah, no, I'm you'll trying. Be, you'll be you very know, happy. I'm begging. <laughs> I'm literally begging. I'm starting to, like, give away things, offer dates. It's getting pretty bad here. I'm just happy that you're here. What can I say? Um, oh, that's great. Now, to further attest to your band, of course, in 2010, New Life Crisis was awarded the honor of being best named as best band in the Hamptons. Now, mm-hmm. when I ask, um, do you think that accomplishment arose in part uh, from your almost 20 years of serving as a house band to Dockers Bar and Restaurant? It didn't hurt. I mean, it wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> there that long. But Paul, Paul has been out there for for a long time since he was a kid. Actually, he's been working in the Hamptons, and I've I've done Dockers, which is a great place. It's it's one of the big 
sort of trendy places in the Hamptons and beautiful place and beautiful setting and stuff. And yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's a lot of places that we play in the Hamptons regularly every summer. And for sure, I mean, we are, you know, we're the Hamptons band without a doubt. You know, we have been for years and they're they're It's a great scene, you know, between June and September, it's packed out there and, and, uh, it's it's really nice settings to play in. You know, you're on the ocean, and you know it's a beautiful, beautiful place. The food is great. It's a lot of celebrities, that kind of thing. You know, hmm. so it's, we're very lucky. We're just, I think, very lucky. We do, you know, we work hard, but I think we've also had a lot of really good situations sort of, you know, fall into our lap with some of these things. You know. Oh, most certainly, definitely. Um, I'm wondering, was that when you were awarded that? Or the band, I should say. Was that something that any of you had expected? Did you think to yourself, oh, we've been working so hard, working so hard, and now it's paying off in the form of this or this? Is this anything you could have seen coming? Nah, we, you know, we knew about it was there, but we didn't know we were going to win it. And we won this year, too, for uh, the Hamptons again, you know, 2012 Best Band, which is great. So, we, we, you know, there's people that they have these online voting things, and we're sometimes aware of it, but we didn't know that we were going to win until we got the call from the place, you know. So it's a lot of people that vote, and there's a lot of, believe me, there's a tremendous amount of talent on Long Island, as you can imagine, and so many bands. So it's a really, it's a big honor to win that because you're going up against literally hundreds of great bands, you know, and they really are great. I mean, there's so many talented people on this island in New York and stuff. So it's, it, it is quite an honor to get that, you know. And I'm honored enough to have one of them on my show right now. Just had to throw that in there. A little excited still. Okay, I want to talk about the Lovely Savages. For those of uh, you who are listening who don't know what that is, now this is your solo project, correct? Yep. Okay, it's now a solo I, guitar could, record, yep. Yes. Now, detail to our audience um, what style of music might they expect to hear on this particular piece of work and maybe how it varies from your previous endeavors? Well, this was, you know, my love of guitar and classical guitar, and I've Put, this is the second solo guitar record that I've put out. I had a record called Gut Strings that was out about 10 years ago that was all classical guitar as well. But this one, I combined some classical pieces that are st- uh, like some Bach pieces and Spanish guitar pieces with um, arrangements that I've done of certain Beatles songs, Beach Boys songs. Um, uh, Steve Howe from Yes, who's a great uh, inf- inspiration to me, I do one of his pieces on there. A few songs that I've written as well. So it's more eclectic, but I spent a lot of time going through and choosing pieces before I ended up with this what this record became. So I, I love the record. I think it came out great, and it's it's a great combination of different styles of music, but they all seem to coexist with each other. So you can have the Beach Boys' God Only Knows, which is a beautiful song, sitting right next to a Bach gavotte, and it somehow works, you know. So I encourage people to uh, go to iTunes and download the Lovely Savages. It's it's cheap. It's nine ninety nine, and that's twelve songs. But it's a great, great record, and it's one of those records that you can listen to it in the background. You can listen to your car. You can have it on whenever, or just sit and listen with headphones, and it's all an enjoyable experience, you know. So get out there, people. Buy it. That's exactly what I was going to say, as a matter of fact. Uh, I found it kind of interesting because I'm a huge, huge Beach Boys fan as well, actually. I know that you had um, done your own version of God Only Knows. I wanted to ask you your reasoning for electing to utilize their music in particular. What what made you choose them, per se? Oh, the Beach Boys are just unbelievable. I mean, God, the, the, you know, the stuff that Brian Wilson did 
through, the, I guess, the album Smile, which is just incredible. But the harmonies, you know, and the, the musicality, it's like Mozart, you know. I mean, I listen to, you know, uh, that song Surf's Up, which is the centerpiece of the Smile record. And to me, it's as good as listening to any Mozart piece or Bach piece. It's brilliant, you know, and the genius that he had in the chords and the melodies and the Again, the sound of their voices together is so amazing, like the Beatles, the same thing. There's this beautiful sound that they were able to achieve and on such a high level, you know, and you can't really define why it's so good. It just is, you know. I mean, I know the components and all that, but I mean, the the combination of sounds of those bands still remain the greatest thing you could ever listen to, you know. You, you can't help but feel better after you listen to the Beach Boys, you know. <laughs> You're not kidding. It's just great dance music. It's good feel-good music. You know what I mean? It keeps you up, keeps you moving. Uh, well, even more than that, it's it's more than that. There's a deep sadness to a lot of those songs, too. It's it, They're beautiful songs in there. I mean, you know, a song like God Only Knows certainly isn't a dance song, and it's certainly not a surf song. What is it? It's just this beautiful song, you know. I mean, uh, In My Room, um, Surfer Girl, all those songs are poignant songs. I mean, there's this, there's this um, sort of sadness, this deep sadness in those those melodies. And, you know, you realize years later what Brian Wilson went through with mental illness, you know, you, 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 you sort of still feel that connection to him and, you know, his kind of, you know, reluctance to be a star and all that and, you know, what he was actually thinking in his head and how it translated to these records is mind-boggling, you know. Definitely. I would agree. I have a huge appreciation for them as a whole, and, and just even their concert performance, because I was lucky enough to see them, I believe, twice now. And it just, it, it transcends just, oh, I, I just, it takes you to another place. You know what I mean? You forget yep. all your worries, all your cares. You just get enveloped in that entire experience. And I, I sure. can't say enough about them. God, amazing. And still around after all this time. I mean, just really taking it, still going at it. Huge admiration. Just, yeah. Uh, Yep. Now if I can just get Aerosmith, that's my next one. I'm pining away <laughs> for them, me and Steven Tyler. Yeah, that's another one in my fantasy. We're friends in my fantasy head here. Keep working on that interview, too. <laughs> um, so now I want to ask, for this gaggle of fans, which I know exists already out there, for you, Jeff, A, I'm going to say, because I still can't pronounce your last name, um, individuals that want to meet you in person and, of course, obviously hear you perform, um, ways that they can do that. Well, Facebook is a great way of contacting me, and also newlifecrisis.com is our website for the band, so all the information for the band is always up there, where we're playing live and all that. That's the best way to get a hold of me, and if they want to um, get my album, The Lovely Savage is available on iTunes. Put my put the name Jeff Allegue, A-L-L-E-G-U-E, in the search, or search The Lovely Savages. It will come up, and uh, I encourage people to download the album. They won't be disappointed. They're going to love the record, you know. So that, that those are the best ways of getting hold of me. I gotcha. Now, of course, I have to ask, because uh, for those that don't know, obviously Jeff is a resident of New York, so um, mm-hmm. I felt inclined to inquire any um, personal effect to you as far as Hurricane Sandy? Mm, I'm close to the water, but we didn't get slammed like some people. I mean, it was weird because some pockets of the island got really, really badly damaged with flooding and you know, it's just devastated, and other parts look like, you know, nothing happened. So it's it's sort of hit and miss. It was, you know, it was a freak thing. You know, the tide and the, the full moon and the winds and all that sort of thing were stronger in certain areas of the island than they were, and I'm sort of in the middle of the island on the south shore. But, uh, you know, we had no power for over a week and a half, but we didn't have any kind of flooding or any kind of real major, um, you know, property damage. 
but other places look like a bomb went off. So it's it's really weird, you know. Uh, it's just it's devastating. I mean, I had some friends who were just oh my god, they've lost parts of their homes, they've lost their vehicles. Just devastating and so just heart wrenching. Really. Yeah, it's yeah, just, it really oh, is. It just it breaks your heart really when you think about it. And I'm like, oh, it's so good to hear stories like yourself for saying that you know you didn't have this devastating effect to you. Because these are things that can go on for months and months and maybe even a year before they can really get themselves back together, which is yeah. so unfortunate. It God. is, and I think, you know, they got to really address the problem of, you know, the way it is here now. Things have changed, you know, and they can't just, you know, these storms are going to happen more frequently, I think, and there's going to be a lot more devastation rather than fewer. You know, I think this is more of a common thing now. So I don't know what the yeah. answer is, but, you know, we have a barrier beach with Fire Island, but it's not going to last forever. It's not a big barrier, and a storm of that magnitude, you know, it could destroy, you know, the entire barrier beach, which then everything is coming right on us, you know. So it's it's I bad, understand. you know. I know. I imagine so, definitely. And I and I keep telling myself, all right, one of these little ventures when I get out of the city for the weekend, I have to get to New York. Because now most of the people I've actually been interviewing are from New York, and, and I've got some in Jersey, and I just I would love to just show them my support and say, hey, you know, we're here. Even though we're in the Midwest, it doesn't physically affect us, but it does affect us as individuals. And yeah, We absolutely. have a love and concern for everybody, certainly. Um, I wanted to ask you just two more questions, and then I'll let you off the hook here. Um, always curious to ask this of a musician, because I'm a writer, so my technique and the way I do things might be a little different than yourself. Um Explain to us your process in terms of if you're going to sit down and write a song. Um, what's your process? Usually I sit down with a guitar most of the time and start strumming and singing melodies that, you know, just randomly. But I also try to fit in nonsense words so that there's some kind of syllables going on at the same time so that it doesn't sound like I'm just, you know, I try to put in actual, you know, some some kind of a syllable thing so that I have something I can work with. But what will happen is I might, I always run a tape recorder when I'm doing this. So purely by accident, you know, you'll come across a melody that seems good. You know, now because you're taping it, you can go back and review it and say, all right, is it worth pursuing this? Or is it just something that's, you know, been done a million times or whatever? However, the inspiration hits you. But then what I'll do is start looking for key phrases, key words that are, that might spark something, you know. And it could be a title. I might come up with a title, and, and the title can dictate what the lyrics will be. Or I might have a specific phrase in the song that is surrounded by these still these nonsense words, but that one phrase is, an, is a cohesive word or a cohesive statement or something. So it's usually like that, and, and I run the tape recorder, and I'll just kind of mess around, you know, and sing. And I don't think about anything in particular except for a mood or an idea that I'm trying to convey, you know. Sure, certainly. Now, if I gave you a particular choice, would you say you could spend the rest of your days just playing, not writing any longer, or just on the flip side, either being just a songwriter and not being a musician? Would you would you prefer one to the other? Do you have a preference? No, I like it all. I couldn't choose. I love playing guitar as just an instrument, and I love writing songs as, as a separate thing, because when I write songs, I don't think about myself as a guitar player. And I also love playing different kinds of music. And being a bass player, I also like to switch between guitar and bass. So there's not one specific thing that I could say, you know, I'd have to, I couldn't really narrow it down to one specific thing. I like all of that. And I do like a lot of different types of music as well. So even that would be tough. I mean, I can spend time with just classical music for a long time with just guitar, but then I can play, you know, play funk on bass forever too and equally love both, you know. 
So mm-hmm. it's, that would be a tough one. Um, hopefully that won't happen. I won't have to be forced into <laughs> I'm sure it won't. I, I'm 100% <laughs> positive of that. You're in too much of a demand as Jeff, period. So I really don't think the point will ever come where you'll be at a crisis where it's one or the other. That's for sure. <laughs> Last question for you, which is always uh, I find interesting. Take us down the road, a couple years down the road. Jeff, personally and professionally, where do you see yourself? Where would you like to see yourself? Honestly, continuing exactly what I'm doing. If that was happening, I'd be very happy. <laughs> that would be great. It doesn't matter in what form and what manner. You don't have a nope. higher act. You know, no, I want to be in you too, or I want to this or this. Nothing. Nope. No. Wow. Nope. If it's, I'm very content. If things the way they go, keep going. Great. No problem. <laughs> wow. You know, because all that stuff. Awesome. Well, because if you say that stuff and you try to think of something specifically, it never happens anyway. So it's, there's no point, you know. So continuing sure. on doing what I'm doing is great. I gotcha. Yeah, you would definitely fit in with my group of musicians very well. You're a very laid-back individual for being so highly successful, so highly talented, so professional. I I cannot say enough about you. I, I'm I was so excited at the start. I'm so excited at the end. I'm like, God, I wish I could be in New York watching this guy. In fact, when I come there, I'm going to come and see you. I'm going to drag all my newfound friends and say, let's go see Jeff's band in New Life Crisis because I want to see what these guys are all about. Because he wouldn't come and play in TSO for me, which I don't think is going to happen, but I keep trying because I'm your friend on Facebook, so I can do that. Um, now, before I forget, www.newlifecrisis.com. Um, mm-hmm. Jeff is on Facebook, just so in case anybody doesn't know how to spell his name because I can't say it. It's A-L-L-E-G-U-E on Facebook. For those who don't know how to find Trans-Siberian, it's www.tras-siberian.com. I can also tell you that Jeff's music, obviously, iTunes. He also has uh, music up on YouTube. Uh, I wanted to ask if I should be processing your uh, MySpace because I know that you're not on there as often. So is that a way? Yeah, I don't. You know, MySpace is. Yeah, MySpace is really just kind of. It's useless and it doesn't load good. So many problems with that thing. I've I've sort of avoided it. I've I've just started using uh, YouTube, um, you know, videos that I'll do, you know, live performance of guitar pieces, or I'll put up, you know, just the audio of something. It loads fast. It's much easier. I don't know what happened to MySpace, but it, unfortunately, it just it just doesn't work good. It really stinks. Sure. <laughs> no, I know what you mean, and everybody's kind of moved over to Facebook anyway, so it's kind of like, yeah, it's a moot point. I know he's on there, but okay. And I don't yeah. know if I asked you if you were on Reverb Nation or not. I'm not, no. No, okay. I might, I might end check. up doing that. Yeah, I might end up going over to that, but at this point, most of the information on my guitar stuff is either you can find through Facebook on my name or, you know, go to YouTube. I have a YouTube channel. You can People can see me play uh, solo guitar pieces that I've done. Um, and listen to it, and if they there's a link on my YouTube page to get to buy the record as well. So, gotcha. Oh, of course. And the other thing is, I know that you're not on at least that I know of. You're not on Twitter as of yet. Is that something that will happen somewhere down the line? Yeah, maybe you never know. You know, I mean, I know our band uses it, but I don't personally know. I gotcha. Okay. I have no Got reason, it. real reason to, you know. Got it. Well, we certainly had ourselves a good interview here, with the exception of a little sleep cover I missed you, and thank you, Jesus, you found your way back to me. Uh, <laughs> if you ever, like, develop a T-shirt that has Jeff's face on it, just send it to me because I will wear it. I'm going to be, like, your number one fan now because, I, I <laughs> like I said, I think you are just truly one of those talents that, unfortunately, not enough people get an opportunity to be able to see. Not only do they not live there, they haven't heard of you before, which is what, of course, attracted me to come and ask you to be on my show. I, I think you're just truly amazing. I mean, your participation well, in TSO is just one part of you. I, I thank do, you I, so I much. 
Oh, you're profoundly amazing. And certainly, just to let everybody know, after we get finished here now, um, this will become an archived episode, so anyone that wants to um, come on after the fact and listen to the interview, you can do so at any time. Um, I'm going to go ahead and make sure I get it out on YouTube as well, so this way, hopefully, you can get yourself more of a national viewing or listening of our interview, I should say. And Jeff, I want to give you an open invitation to come back to my show every month if you want to. Um, as long as you come to Milwaukee in December, that is. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I, just I, I would love you. you. Listen, it was, it was great talking to you, you know, and anytime you want oh, to do yes, this, yes. it's fine with yes. me, you know. I, it's been absolutely amazing. And I will make sure to post all your information on my Facebook page as well as on my show page so that people know how to find you. And certainly if I don't talk to you, please have an absolutely wonderful Christmas with your family. Yes, you too. All right, Thanks Jeff. so much, Cindy. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much to Jeff once again. Um, I wanted to throw a shout-out one more time, www.newlifecrisis.com. On Facebook, it's Jeff, spelled last name A-L-L-E-G-U-E. Trans-Siberian Orchestra, of course, is www.trans-siberian, is S-I-B-E-R-I-A-N.com. Also, just music can be found on both iTunes and YouTube, and hopefully someday Reverb Nation, obviously. Uh, before I go ahead and wrap up, two things I wanted to mention. Um, we are working on hopefully solidifying on Sunday morning, this Sunday at 10 a.m., my returning guest, which would be Aviva Drescher of the Real Housewives of New York franchise. We're going to go ahead and talk about, um, obviously, the reunion wrap-up because the show is not on at this present time. We're going to talk about the endeavors after the show. Will she be returning to the show, etc.? And just her work, obviously, with fellow amputees because, as we all know, she has had an issue with that for a predominant part of her life. Uh, so I want to just touch on that, actually. And my last item of business for this evening um, just addresses to the individuals who might happen to be living in California. I obviously am not, but I have some dear friends who do. And they are actually having a production this evening. I should say it's a fundraising event, and it's through the lovely group called Win Productions. And it's actually a Christmas ball, which is being held this evening, Friday, December 21st. Um, there's going to be just a plethora of individuals that are going to be there. Um, my personal friend, who is, of course, Ted Alva, along with MC Poncho, Robert Vanilla, Edward Cardenas Hollywood, Tony Vela, excuse me, Chicano rap artist, which is Chino Grande, the comedian Jojo Devotions will be there, and just a whole bunch of other individuals. And they're all going to be going ahead and raising money this evening. If you go to Facebook and visit Ted Elva, that's Ted A-L-V-A, or Wynn Productions, which is W-Y-N-N space P-R-O-D, they will have all the detailed information as to location and time. They have a huge, just a huge list of sponsorship, and they're trying to raise funds, so please help them on their worthy cause this evening. If you're in the Los Angeles area, please go ahead and help them out. The ticket prices are only $25 per person, it includes all the entertainment and food that's catered by MUN2, actually. And proceeds for said event are benefiting the overseas military as well as some additional families. So you definitely want to go ahead and make sure you support their cause. I want to say thank you very much to everyone that listened this evening. Uh, if I don't get a chance to speak to you over the weekend, hopefully we'll have a viva on. If not, have yourself a wonderful weekend. And, of course, I will be back on air after the Christmas holiday. So enjoy your Christmas as well. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.